Okay. Um, one of my most favorite and most recent core memories um, is when I first moved um, in high school. Um, the very first day of school, I really didn't want to go. And I remember I'm sitting down at lunch. I'm sitting down all alone. And I open up my little lunch sack that my mom made me. And there's a note in there. Um, and we were watching The Karate Kid the day before. <laughs> and she wrote on it, you're the best around. Nothing's going to ever get you down. Which is like the main part of the lyrics to the main song in the movie The Karate Kid. Um, and when school was over and I walk out, she's outside and she's holding a bag of McDonald's food out the window and she's blasting the Karate Kid theme song. <laughs> and when I got in there, she was like, you know, I had a dream last night that like everybody in like the school was just going to be in love with you and they were going to carry you on their shoulders and sing the Karate Kid song. And even though that didn't happen, it's just one of those things that has always stuck with me because my mom, I know she loves me so much and she cares about me so much. And she sees me as this person who I, I want to see myself as. And so that's one of my biggest core memories. Tell me about your mom. Paula's the best. Okay. Everybody needs a Paula. Um, I don't know. She's just so amazing. I... Uh, she's my best friend, and she has something funny to say about everything. Um, she, through the years, has really, truly become my biggest support system, and I go to her for everything, and I don't know. She's the kind of person that I hope someday I can become even half as good as. Welcome to the Mosaic Stories That Unite Us. I'm Olivia Skrilloff, and on today's episode, we are talking about families. Our first story this hour came from Michaela Olson. At the Mosaic, we've gotten a lot of stories about your families, and we're so excited to share them with you. But first, we wanted to take a deeper look at the family to see why they matter so much. So, to explore the importance of family, I called in Kevin Butler. I'm Kevin Butler. Um, I'm currently a PhD student here at Utah State University. I'm working on a PhD in human development and family studies. And my current research interest is looking at how discrimination affects those who are around us, whether we're white, black, multiracial, any ethnicity, the systemic racism that we see within our society affects us all. And that's what I'm interested in understanding and helping other people understand as well. Here's Kevin on the importance of families. So what has been the most impactful truth or lesson that you've learned as you've been able to study families and as you started your own family? I think that probably the, the most impactful thing is that everything kind of comes back to the family. All of our values, all of our beliefs, all of our ideas are 
first and foremost created within the family context. All new information that we receive throughout our lives is filtered through those values and that belief system that was given to us by our family. Whether or not we still hold those same belief systems that our parents tried to instill in us, we still filter that information through those things or through the lens that we created because of our family structure. Um, so family has a huge impact on on all of us and it lasts throughout a lifetime. We continue to have interactions with family. Family relationships are some of the longest lasting relationships that we have within our lives. Um, think about sibling relationships. You're born and you already have siblings and you continue that relationship for your entire life essentially until one of you um, passes away, right? So so for many people, they have that relationship from the time they're born to the time that they die. And that is like, that's the longest relationship you can ever have with someone. And yet we don't really focus on some of those relationships as, as much as we do others. Family is just always present. Um, it's, it's a factor that plays a role in, in every part of our development, um, in every part of our lives. Our next story comes from Ethan Jagnandon. Ethan is a student at Utah State studying operations management. Here's Ethan with a story about the time his family bullied him. Let's take a listen. So yeah, so when I was six, we were living in Augusta, Georgia. Um, and that was a super fun time. Like my parents had just gotten their first like tiny little cute house. We were like on our own and it was awesome. It was super great. Um, we lived right next to like all of our cousins and aunts and uncles. It was like kind of before everyone moved out and got their big boy jobs and stuff. So it was a super good time just to be a kid. Like it was perfect just for hanging out and enjoying just kind of the small town feel of it. You know, every Sunday dinner and everything like that at grandma's house was great. But yeah, at that time I was in Mrs. Sanders first grade class. And she was an awesome lady. She had this really cool spiky short haircut and just like the best style and was just, she always just kept it real. She'd be like, I this is going to be a long day. And we would be like, okay, I don't know what that means because I'm six, but like, I, I, I think I feel you, Mrs. Sanders. And one day she was just like, I've had enough of you guys and just sat down for a little bit. And I was like, I respect that, you know? So things like that were awesome. Um, but I guess she saw fit for me to try to take this gifted program test. And so that basically entailed like three separate tests. I think it was like some sort of language arts, like reading, comprehensive writing, um, maybe some math, I think. And then the last thing was like a creativity portion. And so I guess I had done well enough in whatever you even do in the first grade to, to think that, that I was good enough to try and take this test, right? And so I remember I took this letter home to my parents and they like signed it and I was kind of excited. I was like, maybe I'm made for this. I was like, maybe this is like my Harry Potter moment. I'm going to be taken out of the real world and put into this gifted program. And um, day one was language arts, just like crushed it, was not even worried about it at all. Strong reader, pretty good writer, felt good. Math was a little bit trickier, but at that point, I think we didn't even know multiplication yet. So it was like an adding and subtracting situation and like a word problem. And I was like, I felt okay. Not ideal, but I felt okay. And the last portion was creativity. 
And I don't remember exactly what all was on that test, but I'm pretty sure at one point there was literally just like two lines side by side. And they were like, make something out of this. And I was like, this is my worst <laughs> nightmare. I made a ladder. I just like drew it across, very practical. I was like, that's that's awesome. Uh, side note, my brother took the same test a couple years later and he was like, in between the lines, I drew a magical world. And I was like, that's that's way better than my ladder. So that just goes to show like how different we are, I guess. Um, so come to find out, we get the results back. And my teacher just like handed me this letter. I didn't really think anything of it. She was like, go give this to your parents. I was like, okay. Um, so, so I get home and we open it up and my parents were like, okay, okay. And they were like, well, son, we're so proud of you, but you did not get into the gifted program like at all. And I was like, oh, okay. Like what? Is that all the letter says? They were like, uh, no, it says specifically that you scored a 48 on the creativity section. And I was like, nice. And they were like, no, they were like, that's not good. That's, that's a very low number by comparison. I was like, okay. And so of course, being in that like small town family situation, aunts and uncles, cousins heard about it immediately. And so I remember like being at Sunday dinner and my uncle Paul, who I love to death, but is also just like the worst guy. <laughs> was like, hey, Ethan, do you want 48 rolls with your meal tonight? And I was like, no, I don't want 48 rolls. And just little things. But um, it was awesome. It was a good experience um, overall. A couple years later, I did the same test. I just lived in Georgia. So it was like basically the same program kind of throughout the state. Um, pretty much second verse, same as the first. It just like creativity was not there still. Um, but yeah, it was like, it was a little tricky after that, like art classes. I was like, maybe I'm not cut out for this. I was like, maybe I'm wasting my time in this class doing pottery right now because I'm just not, not that guy, I guess. Um, but it was, it's been, it's been good. It's been fun to just kind of grow up and, and have that as a joke. And, um, I think it's, uh, a good thing to note that it's, um, fun to realize like even though those kind of things in a way because like you're just a kid like can define you it's fun to grow up and realize oh that's maybe not the case just with time and you just have more experiences and things like that so do you like creativity not a lot <laughs> <laughs> i yeah. i hate painting and art in fact this was this was like a year ago no two, during quarantine for my mom's birthday uh, ironically enough like two years ago today even shout out to my mom happy, happy birthday, birthday amy mom. love her happy so birthday, much amy. yeah she's the best we did like a fun like art day and like a dinner. So we like got these these cameras. I think we even went to oh, what's that good craft store called? Michaels. Michaels had to be. So we even went to Michaels, got the good stuff for my mom. Mm -hmm. And we're like in the garage painting and everyone's having so much fun. And I was just like flustered because I was like, I have this in my head and it's not working. And they were like, Ethan, just have fun. I was like, I can't. <laughs> I'm ruining this canvas for Michaels and I hate it here. But yeah, I guess I'd probably do a little better than a 48 now, but no telling how much better. So. Perfect. I'm gonna start recording, but you don't have to start speaking now if this is going on as well. Okay. But I will ask you the question. <clears throat> Our next story comes from Rachel Garrett. Rachel is a student at Utah State studying health education and promotion with an emphasis in community health. Here's Rachel's story about a time her parents were there for her. Perfect. So I served my mission in Chicago, and a lot of people, when they think of Chicago, they think of 
like three main things. They always talk about the crime and the cold and the pizza. And all of those are like spot on for Chicago. <laughs> so I never had any like really scary experiences uh, with crime, but I was scared a few times. Um, and when I took my parents back to visit Chicago, we had pizza like five times with five different people that week because they all just love they're all passionate about Chicago is the thing like everybody there loves it or they hate it and want to move but (laughs) um and then um yeah it was just cool because there were lots of people from different cultures all over the world there um so I I really loved my time in Chicago it was really hard for me COVID started in the middle of my mission and Most people, when COVID hit, were stuck at home with their families, and I was stuck inside a small apartment with a girl that I had just met a few weeks before, and so that just has its own challenges, (laughs) Um, and I didn't, we didn't watch the news, and so I didn't really know what was happening in the world with COVID. I didn't know how big of a deal it was, because some people were like, oh, everyone's just making this into a big deal, and like, it's going to pass in a couple weeks, and then other other people were like scared for their lives and so I just didn't really know and we couldn't buy toilet paper which was dumb <laughs> and, <laughs> and so yeah it was just like kind of a crazy time very stressful didn't know how to be a missionary because we'd been knocking on doors and now we couldn't leave our house so it was like how am I supposed to do this why am I still here um a really just interesting time of my life it's funny to read my journal um from that time because <laughs> One day I wrote, like, I think I've cried every day this week, but so far I'm doing pretty good. And I was just like, man, she was not doing okay. (laughs) Um, But I learned a lot from it. It was good. Um, And then one day, um, just probably like a week or two into quarantine, isolation, whatever, um, we got a call from the bishop's wife in that area, and she... Uh, said she had something to bring over to us and so I didn't really like think anything of it I was excited because usually they're bringing like dinner or an Easter basket or something it was like Easter time um and so uh she came over and I saw out of the corner of my eye a carton of Aggie ice cream and go Aggies I love (laughs) Aggie ice cream and I was just like how did you get that and she said that my brother had like my whole family had pulled together to ship me ice cream I didn't even know you could ship ice cream and um and I just started crying and like my jaw drops when I (laughs) get really surprised or excited and it just like doesn't close so I just like my jaw dropped and there's like tears coming down my face and my I was in a trio actually that time and they were just like what's going on (laughs) and um but yeah so my brother had thought to ship me Aggie ice cream because he knew I was really struggling and because I got to call my family twice a week during that time and so I would call them and they were really they were just always supportive no matter what was happening on my mission but in throughout my life but it just meant a lot that they would send me my favorite ice cream at the time it was lemon custard now I think I'm on the space debris have you had that kind <laughs> it's so good it's like huckleberry ice cream with stuff in it but anyways at the time it was lemon custard and that's what they sent me <laughs> and um yeah it was it just meant a lot and um they're just always there for me like that and Um, It just really cheered me up and it just made me realize what 
a big impact small things can have on us. And uh, my family is just great examples of that, of just being there for you when you're going through something hard. And um, so I think my biggest takeaway from that was just that um, it's important to notice when people are struggling and to spend just a little bit of time thinking about what you can do for them to make their load a little lighter because that really meant a lot to me and I'm just really grateful for my family. They're the best. Thank you. You're awesome. This will be your cold open. <laughs> it's your transition noise. <laughs> Our next stories come from Alec Galloway. Alec is a student studying commercial music at BYU. Here are some of Alec's stories about growing up with his sisters. I think some of the, you know, clearer memories I have of my sisters of, uh, yeah, my sisters are, would be like when we like fought. <laughs> we fought a lot as kids, but I remember there was one time. So growing up, our dishwasher sucked. Um, I mean, I guess it's not a unique experience. But we basically had to just, you know, scrub all the food off the plates before we put them in the dishwasher. And so it's just kind of this routine we had after dinner. One of us would scrub the dishes and one of us would take the scrub dishes and put them in the dishwasher somewhere. And so I was scrubbing the dishes, you know, I had my hands in the sink and my sister Amelia was putting them in the dishwasher. And we always thought that like loading up the dishes was like the easier jobs. We would fight over who you know, got to load the dishes. And we were fighting. I forget what it was even about, but um, it was pretty heated. Not a fun time. But while we were doing that, while we were arguing, I had scrubbed out this like uh, stainless steel pot and I put it on the counter and the counter was wet. It had like water on it and it, the surface tension, I don't know what, it caught the pot so that it just started gliding across the surface of the counter. And like, as soon as that happened, we both just like stopped fighting. We're just like, whoa, we just like picked up the pot and like started making it slide over the water, over the countertop again. And like the fight was over. Like we didn't even talk about it after the fact. Like I just think about that now and it's like, it's kind of funny how, you know, stupid the things we used to fight over are. And so, yeah, it was kind of funny. So the prelude to this fight is another fight where I had thrown a toy train at my sister's head and then I got sent to timeout. And so I was up in my room chilling and Amelia was like coloring with markers or whatever down in the living room. And I was bored while I was in timeout. And so I thought what would be a fun little game is to see how far I could stick my hand down my throat. And so I just start like shove my hand down my throat and just see how far down I could get it until I threw up like duh. You and were four. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I just want to make that clear. Yeah. Like, yeah. How yeah. So I threw up, and my mom, you know, heard me like retching and throwing up. So she bursts in, and she's like, "What the? What did you do?" And I was like, "I don't know. Just chilling, and you know, causing a small commotion." Right. And so Amelia hears that, you know, mom is yelling at me for some reason. She doesn't know what, but she wants to know. So she gets up and she starts sprinting up the stairs, but she trips on the train that I threw at her earlier and she slips and the she like lands like on the marker that she has in her hand. It hits her head like right next to her eye. 
And so now here we are, like I'm sitting in the backseat of the car with like a bucket and Amelia is sitting next to me. She's got like, you know, paper towel and whatever to her head because she's bleeding. We're driving to the ER. It's like 930 at night. And then she had to get stitches in her head. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it was just like kind of this infamous story that we have the day, you know, when just like out of nowhere, we have to like go to the ER. <laughs> like, but yeah, she still has the scar and she still reminds me of the story. Our next story comes from Jessica Peterson. I first sat down with Jessica about a year ago over Zoom, and she told me two stories. The first one was about how her and her friends accidentally made a bomb, and the second one is the one that you're about to hear. Here's Jessica with a story about discovering where she fits in to her own family. I'm Jessica Peterson. I am majoring in math, stats, composite education. So I'm the youngest of um, five girls. I have four older sisters. I don't have any brothers. And my sisters are all, or I used to think they were all perfect. They all have like beautiful thick hair. They all style it perfectly and do their makeup every day. They all had like really good grades. They all had very unique interests. So, you know, like one was the creative one, one liked academics, one cooked, like it was, okay, one didn't cook. But the point is that like, <laughs> they all had, I felt like they all had a really specific role in the family. And I just felt like I was kind of a mix of all of them. And I didn't really get any unique personality traits. Um, and I struggled, I struggled with that for a lot of my life, just feeling like I didn't stand out and that I also didn't fit in. It was a weird dynamic, like there was only meant to be four. And because my parents had five, I didn't get anything unique. I just kind of was there. And so I never really gave myself a lot of credit for anything. And I got what I asked for. I asked to be unique and I got cancer. So be careful. <laughs> be careful what you wish for. <laughs> I have had a bump on my arm. I don't know exactly how long, but ever since I was 16, that's when I first noticed it was that I had a little bit of a bump in my arm. I ended up having to go see the dermatologist for something. And when I was there, I asked her to remove it because they remove lipomas. And she, she said, that's not a lipoma. You need to get that checked out as soon as you can. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay, that's not terrifying. And so, um, I told my mom that, and we made an appointment with the general surgeon to get a biopsy and he looked at it and he said, this is out of my league. And I remember like getting the x-ray and my mom was still, I don't know, maybe she was in denial, but she kept saying, it's nothing. Like you really don't need to worry about this because she's a nurse. And so I trusted her opinion. And after I got the x-ray, it took like 30, 45 minutes for the doctor to come in. And that's when I knew something was wrong. Cause that's usually not what happens. And she came in and she's like, I don't really know how to tell you this. I don't want to scare you, but we think that's cancerous. That's not a lipoma. I met with my doctor and he said that he was almost 100% sure that this was a parosteal osteosarcoma, which is a mouthful. Um, and that's a very, very rare form of bone cancer. So osteosarcomas affect only about 5% of the population. And only 5% of those are parosteal osteosarcomas. So I stayed in two classes. I dropped my other three or four, or however many, and went down to get my surgery. I remember um, when I got the like when the, when that initial risk specialist came in and she said, we don't want to scare you, but we, we think this is cancer. Um, I remember when we made, we did like a video and just sent it to my family. Cause I called my dad and I called my grandma and I could not bring myself to call another person and admit that they thought it was cancer. It was, it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. So we just made a video, <laughs> sent it to everyone. 
And I remember the responses I got because um, my mom and I were crying. I basically made her tell it because I couldn't get through it. And I remember my sisters replying and they were in tears and they were like, we're here for you. And I remember that night, one of my sisters bought Chinese food for the whole family and they all came over and we all had dinner together. And um, it was exactly what I needed. I remember I saw my brother-in-law, Derek, um, when we were all having dinner together. And I've always felt really close to Derek, but, but Derek like wrapped his arms around me and he held me so tight and he was crying. He was like, I really hope you know that I know you can get through this. And I realized that I was really important to them too. And my nephew Hunter, who was only like two, he is still only is like two or three. He might be four. I don't know. He's young. <laughs> little. And he stood like right by me as I was eating. And he asked if I would play with him. And I said, I will. I just got to finish eating. And he said, OK, I'll wait. And then he sat on the floor at my feet and like put his head on his hands and just looked at me and stared at me the whole time. And my sister looked at me and she, his mom looked at me and she said, he's been really worried about you ever since we told him. They just told the kids that like we got news that I was really sick. And I remember getting like texts. My sister would, my sisters would send me texts that they were thinking about me, but they would also send me the prayers that my nieces and nephews had said to me, said for me at night. And so that made me cry. They'd say things like, and please bless Aunt Jessica because she's really sick and she means a lot to me and I don't want to lose her. Even my like, Quincy was only about 18 months old at the time. She wasn't speaking a ton. And I remember every time we'd say a family prayer or like we'd pray over dinner on Sunday or whatever, they'd be praying and you'd hear her pipe up from wherever she was sitting. And Jessica's owies. And then they'd say, yes, please, Jessica, she'll feel better. And so they all just, they all rallied around me. And I, I think I just kind of realized that I was really special to them because I did. I always felt like I was, I wasn't unique and they could have done just fine without me because they all could have filled the roles that I tried to fill. They all had the abilities I thought I had. And, and I just realized that I was so special. I was so integral to the family. I didn't realize how much I was needed and what a role I played. And it wasn't until I, I stopped doing what I used to do to help them that I realized I really was needed. And I, I remember my sisters all bought me like my favorite treats, like gummy lunches and sunny D's because those are my favorite. It's just, they were just there for me with whatever I needed. And I, I really, really needed it. They were the best. I don't know what I would have done without them. I have always been the babysitter. I've always been the one they call when they need something. I, I've always just kind of had that role. My mom says I'm the glue in my family and I just kind of hold us all together. And so I guess I started to see that there's a reason they need the glue right? Because they can't hold themselves together without me. And I don't feel like I was just a mistake. The fifth child who is a hodgepodge of everything. Like I, I see my individuality and I see my need and I see my role in the family. I, it's been, it's been different. And I feel like I've been a lot happier. I can't refrain from putting my arm Refrain from coming to your car I hate it Your mother got it Our next story comes from Ethan Conley. Ethan is a political science and international studies major at Utah State. He's also our current student advocate vice president. So I want you to think about one of your core memories. And for a lot of people, these are like, you know, dancing like with their dad when they were like five or like camping. Well, what's one of your core memories? It's funny you mentioned my dad in camping because those are where a lot of my core memories are, mm -hmm. is being outdoors with my dad. When we were little kids, that's what we did. But um, 
I remember I went camping with the scouts and I was young and uh, I packed for myself, which I did pretty often. And because um, I was a pretty independent kid mm-hmm. and I'd packed for myself and I neglected to bring gloves or a jacket <laughs> or a hat or uh, warm clothes, you know. <laughs> so it was, I think, October in the mountains of Utah and it was warm down in the valley but when you get up to ele- elevation it's cold right so um i uh i was so cold and um i wanted to go out and play but i i like kept wanting to go back to the fire right because like i was just cold and i was kind of miserable and it started to rain a little bit and my dad came and it meant a lot that he come cuz he was a really busy guy but he liked being there when he could for things like soccer games or whatever. And so it meant a lot that he came, but when he came, he thought, he said, you know, I, I wasn't sure whether you'd brought these. So I just made sure to bring you extras of a hat and a hoodie and gloves. Mm -hmm. And so that story is, is not really exceptional. It's pretty typical of how my dad is. He's a very thoughtful man. He always thinks about the little details like, I remember my mom, her parents always sent her chocolates or on, on Christmas, um, but they died a couple years ago. And uh, when Christmas came around, it was the first Christmas they were going to be there, my dad had sent a box of seized chocolates to the door that said, from mom and dad. So that's just kind of the type of dude my dad is. And so that particular memory, he's done, I mean, has to be hundreds of things like that over the course of my lifetime, but those I just remembered, and I really... You know, it was when I was old enough to think about, like, wow, you really do have an incredible man is your father. He's just a very thoughtful and caring individual. So, yeah. Our last story of this episode comes from Kurt Nixon. Kurt is a student at Utah State studying creative writing. You may remember Kurt from previous episodes of The Mosaic, and we're always happy to have him on the show. So here's Kurt with a story about his siblings. So I have three sisters. Um, only, only guy really in the family other than my dad, and I'm also the oldest. I love my family to death. But I know that during my teenage years, I was... I was kind of a piece of shit. Um, there are a lot of days where I think about like how much I want to take back some of the things I said or did. And I have the hardest time saying it. Like I, I physically cannot say it to their faces, like how much I love and care about them. Like, I don't know what it is. There's just some sort of block in my head that doesn't let me say it. Like I care for them so much that they would never believe me. Because they grew up with me being the angry older brother. And I've tried to rectify that over the last few years. I've done at least what I think I can to go through and try to improve that relationship. But I do feel like it's just not enough at times. But recently I got reminded how much they care about me too. Um, So about a month before finals happened my dog that I've had since I was 12 had to be put down my parents decided not to tell me until after finals were over my mom specifically prefaced it in the call 
Your sister is worried that you're going to hate her forever because of the secret we've kept from you. Rio died a month ago. I hung up the phone because I was so angry. I was livid. Like, livid is an understatement. Like, I'm still angry about it now. Um, the first thing I did was I immediately called my little sister who goes here to school as well. Um, so this is the sister that's my younger sister, who's not the youngest sister. And I flat out told her, it's like, I do not hold this against you. This was not on you. This was mom and dad's decision. This is not on you. I do not blame you in the slightest. And there was just an audible sigh of relief from her. And then I kind of just went quiet for a few days. Like, I didn't answer texts. I didn't answer phone calls. I didn't really do anything because I was just trying to process what had happened. Um, About a week later, I called my mom back. It's just like first time I've talked to her since she told me that my, my dog died. And like I was getting ready to tell her, it's like, you know, that dog was probably one of the most important things in my life, which I know sounds weird to say, but like that was, this is part of the reason why I didn't want to come back to school is because I knew he didn't have that much longer. I wanted to be there for him. But my mom went through and said, I understand what's going on. I understand that you're angry because both of your little sisters have torn me apart for what I did to you. Like, I'm still angry about it. I'm still processing it. And I'm, I'm just glad to know that, like, just because I was... Just because I was a piece of shit whenever I was a teenager doesn't mean that my relationship with my little sisters is ruined because of that. Because I have made those strides to try to improve that relationship again. That's a really good story. <laughs> Sorry for making you cry in the middle of that. To close out the episode, I wanted to play another clip from Kevin Butler's interview. I asked him the very broad question of why family is important, and I think he answered it perfectly. Yeah, um, when you when you sent me that question, I um, I don't know, I wasn't really able to come up with a uh, one thing I could think of that why the family was important, and and I wonder actually if that's kind of um, the wrong question a little bit because what what really is important, in my opinion, is that we feel some support from someone, that we can belong with someone, and that we can create a sense of community. There's been lots of research that has shown that that these types of things really affect the way that uh, our, our levels of depression, how happy we are, um, our sense of satisfaction in life and within relationships. And families provide an avenue to gain those types of things. A family can provide that social support. They can provide that that belonging that we all seek so that we can feel satisfied within our lives. And unfortunately, not everybody has those um, things within family. So I don't know that it's family itself that's important, but what family can provide when family is done right. So if we can 
find or create a family that provides those things that people need, that's when family's important. The Mosaic Stories That Unite Us is part of the Aggie Radio Podcast Network. Our show is created and hosted by Olivia Skriloff with sound production and story development by Jacob Andreasen, Maggie Brown, Alec Galloway, Kyle Olson, and Jamie Perry, with all music this hour by Rudy C. Williams. Special thanks to Rudy C. Williams for our intro song, The Mosaic, to Kevin Butler, the Aggie Radio Podcast Network, and to my family, Michael, Deborah, Rebecca, and Sarah, for all of your support. I'm Olivia Skriloff, and we'll see you next month. Our next story comes from Ethan Jagnanston. Jagnan. Jagnian. I'm Olivia Skriloff. And on today's episode, we are talking about your parents. <laughs> Today, we're talking about your mom. Just a minute, they assume it's true. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Loud and clear. Why was I suddenly like out of breath? Perfect. I was like, how do you do this without time pressure? <laughs> you just get it done. Okay. Should we listen and see if it's good? Is it good? No, it I good? think it's good. Well, we can re-listen to it though. Okay.